Welcome, everybody, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. He's at J.J. Coop 36. I'm at John Manuel B.A. We'll be joined shortly by Jim Callis. Uh, as we talk organization rankings and J.J., the real opening day, well, not really. I'd say actually the third and final opening day. There's college opening day, which is a great step forward for college baseball when you've got a, a unified opening day. It mm-hmm. didn't used to be. Now we do. Major League Opening Day, which is a little staggered. I mean, you have Sunday say, night can, and then Monday. You can say there are three Major League Opening Days. It feels like we and had Sunday, we have Monday, we had Tuesday. And now we'll have Minor League Opening Day on Thursday, with the exception of the Carolina League, which has one Opening Day game Thursday, and then everybody starts on Friday. All right, maybe there are too many Opening Days. But Opening Day I for like the Minor Leagues day. is Thursday. We do uh, Opening Day is a good thing. We, such a good thing at Baseball America that in our official BA style guide, you capitalize the O and the D in Opening Day. So... Uh, I've always liked that. We should all go around with a little black band like uh, Hawkeye did when he was Officer of the Day on MASH. He had OD on the side. I think we should do that for opening day. JJ, we also could have OTR, Organization Talent Rankings, on our arms today because we're going to talk about our Organization Talent Rankings uh, as part of this Baseball America podcast. And, uh, you know, why don't we just dive in at the top, JJ, because we do Org Talent Rankings twice. We do them once in our handbook, which are fairly preliminary. Then our minor league preview issue, we do a final one because pretty much all the transactions that really matter in terms of minor league prospects are done by the time we do the minor league preview. And that's things, the reason that we do a second one. Things changed pretty dramatically. Last they did. year, last year the Nationals were our number one team. In the book. In the book. And by the time we rolled around to the, quote, official ones, the ones that we you know kind of look at year by year, if someone asks us who was our right. 2012 number one in the organization talent rankings, it's not the Nationals, because we look at it at the, the end of basically the spring training rankings. But by then, the Nationals had dropped pretty significantly because they'd gone out and made some trades, right. helped their team a lot, right. got brought in Gio Gonzalez, things like that, but it also meant that they weren't, they weren't nearly as talented in the farm system as they were when we originally did the rankings. Also, I, I bet that Anthony Rendon got hurt in between those two rankings. <laughs> Maybe Anthony Rendon, injury joke of the day. We get that one out of the way early in the podcast. But, yeah, and in this one, uh, when we first started the rankings, the Toronto Blue Jays were one of those teams that we figured would rank toward the top, not necessarily in the top three or four. I think the more we saw of last year's Blue Jays prospects, the more we cooled on some of those guys. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And then uh, then they traded basically all their guys and went all in for 2013, uh, Chris Hayes style. They went all in, and now they've dropped toward the bottom. But uh, the teams that are at the top include one of the beneficiaries there, the Miami Marlins, up at number five, would have been a lot lower uh, previously. And their farms at the ranking might plummet next year now that they've decided to push Jose Fernandez to the big leagues. Uh, we, we could go off on tangents, but if you haven't seen our org talent rankings, five to one, Marlins five, Rays four, Rangers three, Mariners two, Cardinals one. JJ, the first tangent of the Marlins with Jose Fernandez making their big league roster. I have to agree with Jim from SBA this week. I just don't see it. Why are they doing this? It, it doesn't seem to have. It doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense from the standpoint of what's the upside of it. Now, I did when I saw the news. I. I texted a scout who had seen Fernandez pretty extensively last year and he's like and he said you know I, I think that he could he could make this work I you didn't think that this was something that could be would necessarily be a disaster as far as on the field he We're didn't definitely th- believers in his talent right. and his maturity and precocity I mean feel for pitching right. all that that being said you're speeding up the clock on a team where there is absolutely positively no reason to speed up the clock because 
there there is no <laughs> there there's there's no real thought that this is a team that is going to uh go out and contend in, in 2013. I do think this almost cements them as being better than the Mets, <laughs> but that's not really what's the point, you know. Um, so that's the thing. I, I think the overall question of what is the point, what is gained, from a big-picture perspective, it feels like a PR move. From a smaller it, gets, picture, it does make them more interesting to watch. Like I said, it's one thing. There's well, Every fifth day, it's like, whoa, and from Stanton a, and Jose Fernandez. Right. From a smaller-picture point of view, I almost wonder if it's just as simple as, they didn't think they had five better guys. Oh, if and after with the injuries the, they have, I don't right. think they do. And if that's the determination, then I respect it. And so from that standpoint, I respect the team not putting the money part first and just going with their five best guys. But it's impossible to separate that when it's the Marlins when they always put the money first. And, I mean, and they've always been at both extremes. So it's hard to take it at face value when it's the Marlins. I, mean, I think that they have earned our skepticism, both if you're a fan or media, they've earned a very healthy dose of skepticism with everything they do, and they've earned the fact that you look at a move like this that could be very justifiable on baseball terms, just like the Jose Reyes, the, the big Blue Jays trade was justifiable in some ways on, in baseball terms, but they've, they've earned our skepticism because it's Jeffrey Loria, and he has a long record of earning skepticism. The, the interesting thing to me, though, is, is that, and this is, again, tangent number two off of tangent number one, the Marlins bring up Jose Fernandez because, really, because they have injuries, uh, Nato Eovaldi being the big one, you know, that he's, right. that he's out. Jacob Turner, not, you know, Jose Fernandez before Jacob Turner. That's, That's a surprising one because Turner's already on the 40-man, but I, I think it's fair to say that you and I have been, that's one of the guys we've been a little bit more skeptical of. Right. I mean... I think you always kind of, you know, honestly, he I, I I lump him in with like the Fernando Martinez's and Diolas Gares of the world, guys who were young for their level and held their own. So he kind of always gave them credit as a prospect for that, but they never really starred. He never really dominated, and I think that's an issue, JJ. I, I, I want to see a guy have some success in the minor leagues. I want to see a guy dominate. We just watched last night Madison Bumgarner uh, dominate the Dodgers, and you know, even when he was throwing 84 to 88. He dominated Double A at a young age. So he was young for his league, and maybe he didn't have dominant stuff, but he had dominant results. And I think you have to have that from a minor leaguer if you expect the guy to be a star. And Jacob Turner, he's certainly not done. He could certainly be a solid big leaguer, but I do think it's unlikely that he's ever going to be a major league star. And now he has a long road to be a solid major league starter. I mean, yeah, that's, he's far away. That's that's kind of one of the things that jumps out. But and that's. Again, it is. It's one of those things that you can say. Okay, well, is it that he was pushed too soon to the big leagues, or is that the problem? Or the other problem, though, is it's just he's never had dominant stuff yeah, in the minors. He's never had swing and miss stuff as a professional pitcher. He hasn't had the pa- combination of power fastball and like a power breaking ball that he had in high school. And guess what? Hey, you know, kind of like Rick Porcello. Rick Porcello's just now. You know, these spring training reports are like, wow, the power to his curveball is more similar now to what it was in high school than it ever has been as a professional. But to Rick Porcello's credit, he figured out a way to survive. Uh, obviously, I link those two because they were both drafted yeah, by the Tigers. You couldn't help it. Players. I mean, that when, when, when Jacob yeah. Turner was coming up, the, the re- everyone linked Jacob Turner to, oh, you know, could he be the next Rick Porcello? Right, and he didn't figure out that way to survive and be a solid big leaguer until his he rediscovered that power stuff. Like, it sounds like Porcello has, and I would love to see that. I'm... 
I'm a Rick Porcello fan. I mean, he, you know, being pushed to the big leagues allowed him to experience a pennant race at a young age and uh, get to a World Series and all these kind of things. But he's he's kind of had to learn to pitch without his best stuff. Well, if he comes with his the stuff that got him that record contract as a high school as an amateur player, it'd be pretty spectacular to see him and again I always link him and Matt Harvey too. It'd be pretty neat to see him and Matt Harvey really pitch the way that we thought they could pitch when they were in high school when they were one and two on our high school draft boards. That also doesn't look bad. Back at 2007, high school draft board, those guys won two and, and have them uh, both performing uh, you know, well in the big leagues. The other uh, Marlins point I wanted to bring up, J.J., was it's hard to have found a prospect who had as good of a spring as Christian Yelich. This is a guy who really... There's okay, a couple. The that, I mean, we could go, that could be league, tangent number three here. It could be. But in the Grapefruit League, Christian Yelich seemed like he was the prospect who attracted the most uh, wonder, maybe. Disagree. Wrong? Okay. Jack, Jack, Jackie Bradley Jr., because he was p- playing for the Boston. Red Sox, sure. I, it was like, it seemed like, and maybe I just, it, but I was seeing Jackie Bradley Jr. stuff right. pretty much on, it seemed like I felt like at times an hourly basis. See, I, re- I read a ton of Yelich as well, but I think you might be right from a hype standpoint and from a media standpoint, and I, 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 I think acknowledge I've lost the battle. He will be Jackie Bradley Jr. I tried to make him Jackie Bradley, no offense to him. But King Griffey was King Griffey Jr. because there was a King Griffey Sr. in the big leagues, right. or Cal Ripken Jr. or whatever. Jackie Bradley, the other, you know, the senior did not have a big league impact. When we say Jackie Bradley in in the baseball context, you know, we know who, who, who we're talking about. But Jackie Bradley Jr. just kind of rolled off the tongue. It does have a certain ring to it. But um, but no, I, I do think the Yelich, there was, he did nothing to dim the idea that he's going to be in in with the Marlins before too long and he'll be an impact bat. He'll he'll be the, the second guy in the lineup that, that, that pitchers fear. All right, this is kind of a pat ourselves on the back tangent again like it was uh, with Stuart, with uh, Jacob Turner because you and I both were felt like we were higher on Christian Yelich than maybe we thought we should be, but we couldn't help it, you know, <laughs> be high on Christian Yelich. Love that, so, dude. Yeah, the guy's uh, – there's nothing to not like about him. And you mentioned Jackie Bradley Jr., uh, he was number two prospect in the Red Sox, who are at number six behind the Marlins at number five in the org rankings. Um, you know, just like Yelich was number two for the Marlins. Uh, it seems like this is a kind of a no-brainer decision for the for the Red Sox. Again, a smart move in that they need the energy. They didn't really have anybody blocking Jackie Bradley Jr. He earned his way onto the team, and he didn't dampen any of the expectations. Probably the most talked about 0 for 2 with a couple of walks they major league nice debut catch. in a long time, right? Uh, and it is. It's. It's one of the things that what I found fascinating about it was is at the very end, you, you love when teams are trying not to say, yes, really what it just comes down to is, is we've got to decide if it's worth the money. Right. Because that's really the – at the end, there was no real argument to be made. Oh, well, if you look just at the uh, at, at the, at the matchups. I mean, the same way, you know, hey, uh, at this time last year – Hard to remember for a lot of people, but at this time last year, Mike Trout was heading to the, you know to AAA right, right. because you know hey well you know we got Vernon Wells and all so we don't really have room for Mike Trout yet. I mean that those were the kind of machinations yep. that happened. So give the Red Sox credit, they didn't do that. They actually went out there and said you know what we're going to put our, our best our best lineup out there, which at this point clearly includes Jackie Bradley. I and think from a from a funk and. Uh from last year and a turn-the-page standpoint. I mean, I just heard Tim Kirkchen talk the other day about it on ESPN. I thought it was really interesting that he pointed to Jackie Bradley from that Red Sox-Yankees debut and just said these are two organizations that feel like they're going in opposite directions. I don't know if you really think that's true, considering the Red Sox gave Mike Napoli and Ryan Dempster and uh, Shane Victorino pretty decent-sized contracts this offseason. 
but just Jackie Bradley seems to symbolize that for a national rider like Tim, and the Yankees don't really have a position player person it's like that. Maybe next year they'll have that. Maybe Slade Heathcott will be that guy. It, Maybe Mason Williams can be that guy. But it, they don't have that guy right now. And I think I think Yankees organization, uh, Yankees fans, and that organization, I think they hope that Slade Heathcott is that guy. And the Yankees, we had 11th in our in our talent rankings, and, and the thing that does jump out, you can't help but jump out, is this is and it ha- it can't help but be at least a somewhat of an indictment of the organization of the farm system in that they have a lot of talent in there there is good talent but it's almost without fail it's either hurt or right. it's in the lower minors this was this was one spring training where if you were an upper level prospect in the Yankees organization with talent the door was wide open. Can you hit? If you can hit, yeah. we can. We will figure out a way to get you onto the field. Because when you're basically going from Juan Rivera as your first baseman to, hey, wait, Lyle Overbay is available. We can release <laughs> Juan Rivera and move Lyle Overbay in. Yeah. If that's the decision you're making, what you're saying is, is any. You know, when we when we talk, okay, we you know, they're like, looking for warm bodies over there. And the surprising thing is that they've gone for the veteran guy as a stopgap, and they don't have, they have not turned to any of these younger. But they're, they don't they're have. young, energetic guys at Eduardo Nunez. Well, and that's the thing. They, they they the guys they had, I personally think like two years ago, I think they would have tried Brandon Laird and right. gone with the younger guy. His timing was off. Then I think the other guy that they did have, JJ, and I think we're going to look back at this trade as one of the Reds that the Yankees rued, was the Montero trade because Michael Pineda got hurt. That They're going to rue that decision just because Pineda got hurt. But I thought they would rue it at the time, even though I like Pineda, because I just thought Jesus Montero was perfectly suited for what they needed. Uh, I know he's not a high-energy guy, but a young guy, right-handed power to complement Cano, right-handed power that could, to the opposite field, I thought he was perfectly suited for Yankee Stadium. And they don't have a catcher right now. If I know that Jesus Montero is not a good defender, but, I mean, come on, Chris Stewart and Frank Cervelli, that's your catchers? I mean, they're screaming out, crying out for Jesus Montero right now, and they don't have him. And they did have him, and he was their guy to fit all the things that you're talking about. I know that they have a ton of injuries right now, but when you looked at the Yankees' opening day lineup, there was as many guys who you groan about seeing that that guy was in an opening day lineup as there were for the Astros, as crazy as that may sound. Almost as much. Almost as much. I mean, I mean Ben Wells, Francisco's your DH. That's right. Ben Francisco's, the that's reason right. for Ben Francisco being a big leaguer has never really been that, you know, he's, he's really a, a, a big thumper. It's always been, he's really good defensively. Yeah. And, and he mean, can hit enough. He's, he hits enough, and he's, he's, he's a, from a right, to be a right-handed hitting fourth outfielder is not easy. No. Usually teams want a left-handed hitting fourth outfielder, and Ben Francisco, that's the reason he's bounced around, but... Ben Francisco, DH. DH. Jason Nix is your third baseman. Uh, Those guys don't fit the profile. And the Yankees, in point of fact, invented the profile. And so I had to gall members of that organization, not just their fans. No, no, no. I mean, look, they've had a ton of injuries. At the same time, if you have a team of 30-plus somethings, you're going to have more injuries than a team that's filled with 25-year-olds. And 40-plus something. Yes, and 40-plus something. I think the bigger point here is that their talent, like you said, their talent and their farm system, uh, especially from the position player standpoint, is too young to help them when the opportunity was there this year. And the guys who could have helped them, David Adams got hurt, got released. Uh, he's had all kinds of injury issues. Corbin Joseph not able to really step through. And then there are other guys. 
and we'll see if Eduardo Nunez can take advantage of it. That's one of the young guys they've produced in recent years. And, you know, the other guys, Brandon Lair, the timing just didn't work, and they traded Jesus Montero. I, I think that's the one that they're going to really rue for a very long time. And, again, we, we do actually like – I like a lot of the talent in the, in the organization from the standpoint of if, they, if we were talking even in July or August this right. happened – then maybe you could say, okay, you know what, instead of Ben Francisco DHing, we can slide one of those guys in the outfield to DH and slate Heathcott or right. you know, or maybe Mason Williams or Tyler Austin or right. one of those guys would be ready to at least in an emergency situation come up. I think it does tell you that guys like Zolo Almonte and Melky Mesa, if they can't beat out Vernon no. Wells and Ben Francisco, they're not gonna be guys. That's you know, we we've that's why those guys have never been top ten guys. Yeah. That's why Zoilo Almonte has been in the top 30 once in the years I've done the Yankees organization. J.J., we're uh, talking organization talent rankings. Um, let's talk about some of those teams in our top five because uh, we talked about the Marlins a little bit. The Rays at four. Uh, when we get done recording this podcast, we're going to head over to Durham uh, Bulls Athletic Park and see most of the reasons for that number four ranking. You talk about a team that has talent in AAA, ready to help at the big league level in 2013. I give you the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Will Myers, Chris Archer, I think uh, Jake Odorizzi, Alex Colomay, to a lesser extent, Tim Beckham. Th- this is, there's, a, there's a lot of talent at that AAA roster. Mike Montgomery, Mike Montgomery might be one of those guys that can help you uh, down the line uh, this year if the Rays can get him straightened out. This is going to be a pretty talented AAA uh, Durham uh, roster. Uh, it's an organization that, thanks to, in, in large part, trades, uh, looks like it's pretty stocked again. Uh, I agree, and, and the thing that does stand out is, is that uh, I think Mark Topkin, our our correspondent, did a story in, you know down there for their for his paper that just talked about how the Rays have done a good job, a really good job of they're never building the team for the current season. They're as much as anything building the team. Okay, so what's our two, team two years down the road going to look like? And really, the, the best way to put it is for all their problems. And no one, I don't think any front office would want to have a lot of the problems that the Rays have with lack of support, with lack of revenue, all those things. With, with a horrible economy and a horrible stadium. Right. All those problems. Yeah. There is one advantage. And this is, hey, this is turning, this is turning lemons into lemonade. The advantage, though, is, is that they can make moves with the focus on the long term that sometimes if you are Brian in New Cashman, York yeah. or you're in Boston – where the push has got to be also how many tickets are we selling tomorrow night and the night after to bring the revenue in, you can make moves that you may not be able to make as easily in some of those other markets. So where they can trade away James Shields in a deal to basically bring in – they trade James Shields in a deal that that's one of their best starting pitchers, and really they're getting no real benefit out of that start the season in the big league level. They're going to get benefit out of it. It's a long-term deal, you know, but that, that's the kind of thing that they can do, and they've done an excellent, excellent job of that. I think there's a great point is that they can, they can be bold and do things that other organizations can't. In fact, I think now they're expected to. Also, when they do these things, it's almost assumed by the media that it's going to work out. So they definitely get more rope than other organizations would do. And if you're just in their own division, if you're the Red Sox and you do that kind of – it takes – a disaster of a year like they had last year for them to make a bold move like they did, which actually I think in retrospect kind of looks like a no-brainer move unloading all those contracts on the Dodgers. But 
put it another way. The the Rays are going to when you say the Rays, I think they last year again credit to Mark Topkin on this, but the Rays had the same lineup. The most regular lineup they had, they put together was 13 times last year. Right. They had 140 something different lineups last right. year. They're going into the season with four guys who are going to play games at second. They've got, okay, a kind of a three-headed left field. They've got a multi-position. they no first baseman. First base is going to be split around multiple guys. They can do those kind of things. They can do, they do as much shifting, defensive shifting as anyone. All those things. They do it there. It, the same thing, if, it lo- if you lose a game doing that in Boston, like someone's out of position or something because he's in a weird shift, in Boston, that's that's three weeks of, of conversation because you have this entire media apparatus <laughs> that is really fueled on, hey, we have to fill every day out tens of hours. 20, I mean, it's two 24-hour all-sports talk radio stations, plus the team and the and Nesson are kind of in bed together. Not kind of. I mean, it, there's so much... It just they're, they're night whereas and day. In, whereas in the, with the Rays, you can do this, and if it loses a game, you go out there tomorrow night because you trust that over the, you're playing the percentages, and over the long term, it's going to pay off. That's right. It's the Baseball America podcast with John and JJ. We're going to come right back with Jim Callis to talk about the top three in our organization talent rankings: the Cardinals, Mariners, and Rangers. We're back on the Baseball America podcast. John and JJ here now, joined by Jim Callis at Jim Callis BA. I'm sure all of you are already following Jim. On, uh, on the Twitter machine. But, Jim, uh, obviously you wrote all of our organization tank talent rankings. You marshal all of our forces uh, for the prospect handbook and corral all of us together and, uh, and organize the talent rankings. Uh, Cardinals, Mariners, Rangers at the top, Jim. Uh, seemed like Cardinals were a fairly consensus number one organization for us, were they not? Yeah, and I think I, I want to say that all of us who voted on it, had the Cardinals number one. I might be off on that because I don't have the, the, the individual votes in front of me. But, you know, we, we talk about this, and you guys may already have mentioned this. When you're ranking organizations, it's obviously incredibly subjective because you're talking about a couple hundred players in 30 different organizations. But, you know, the, the Cardinals, you know, check all the boxes you're looking for. They have talent throughout their system that's both close to Major League ready and also another wave coming up behind them in the lower minors. They have a good balance between hitters and pitchers. And they have some elite talents, you know, starting with Oscar Tavares and Shelby Miller. They, they really do it all as a, as a farm system right now. Yeah, and they, and they keep producing. Um, you know, so for an organization that certainly has some long-term commitments, they just made another one to Adam Wainwright. Uh, they have a pretty long-term one with Matt Holliday. Um, and they lost, obviously, a superstar in Albert Pujols a couple of years ago. They just keep on churning through it, and uh, you know Connor Glassy's got a blog post that's probably up at BaseballAmerica.com by the time you listen to this about scouting directors who produce the most big leaguers on opening day rosters. Jeff Luno was number one, and there are no Astros on that list. So it was all, well, actually there are a couple of present Astros, Brett Wallace, but guys he drafted in uh, St. Louis, and so I, 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 those two things obviously are intertwined, uh, and the Cardinals still reaping the benefits of what uh, uh, what Jeff did there, but. Also, building on that foundation, guys, I mean, last year's draft we had rated as the best one. And uh, internationally, J.J., I mean, I think I guess it's a mild surprise that Oscar Tavares got sent down only from the standpoint of – I do think it's surprising that both Oscar Tavares and Jerks and Profar, who both thought – I mean, I, you, you figured they'd probably get some minor league time this year, but I think we both were hoping that – we all probably hoped that those guys would start the big leagues. But 
Their AAA Memphis roster, J.J., looks about as exciting as any AAA roster. We just talked about Durham's roster. I mean, Oscar Tavares and, uh, starts it off. I mean, Colton Wong, that's going to be a very attractive and exciting AAA team to watch. Absolutely. I, I, with both of them, I mean, it's not a talent thing. It comes down to But in these cases, you can look at it. Gertz and Profar, I've been a skeptic for ever since they said that Ian Kinsler was going to play second base. I became a skeptic because there's no real reason to bring a guy up that you can't say, here's where you're going to play. A skeptic of Profar starting. Profar starting. Gotcha. Tavares saying, Tavares, it's almost like, look, there's going to be an injury at some point. The great thing about it is, is that the Cardinals prepared him where there's an injury in right, there's an injury in center, even if there's an injury in left. Right. He can come up. That's going to happen at some point, and he'll, or at some point, one of the guys is not having a great year or whatever. You know what? We're gonna we're gonna get a boost from Tavares. Right. But uh, with with in those cases, opportunity, you know, where do they play seem to match up pretty well with. Hey, if we keep them down for a little while longer, we can save a good bit of money too. Right. And so, Jim, the other thing with the Cardinals that seems fascinating to me is that I hear they have a David Freeze injury. They just seem like they have such depth at the upper level of their system that. Uh, you know, David Freeze gets hurt. They plug in uh, Matt Carpenter. I mean, I know he was a minor leaguer, but a homegrown guy. If they, I think we all felt like if Alan Craig went down, Matt Adams seems like a guy who could be plugged right into the to the lineup. It feels like the the thing they have is talent at the top of the, of the organization, talent at the bottom. And again, we love their their 2012 draft as well. No, they do. I mean, they're, they're really well equipped. Uh, I think more than just about any team to weather a, a serious injury. Uh, you know, if you know, let's say you know they've already had you know Chris Carpenter lost in the rotation. If they have another serious injury, you know they could they could move Trevor Rosenthal to the rotation, or they could maybe call it Michael Waka. I do think we'll see Colton Wong stepping in at second base at some point during the year. I agree with JJ. I mean, uh, on Oscar Tavares, I think on most teams he'd be in the starting lineup. The Cardinals have three good outfielders, but they aren't necessarily going to stay healthy. He'll be up. So I, I just uh, you know, the, the Cardinals, it's, it's a very enviable organization right now. I mean, they won a World Series two years ago. Um, it looked like they were going to take the Giants down last year. Uh, you know, and they couldn't quite finish that off. But I think they're going to be a strong contender for another championship this year. And, they, and they're, they're built to succeed for years to come. The, the one thing that jumps out to me is, is the Cardinals' biggest competitor in the Central, the Reds. If Tavares is on the Reds, Ryan Ludwig goes down opening day, basically be out for three months. If this was... If they if they had Oscar Tavares, he'd already. I mean, t- these injuries happen. Yeah. And the thing that the thing that the, to me is is that the, the the Reds I think have several advantages over the Cardinals, as far as if you look at their big league lineups. That being said, the Cardinals this pros- this depth of prospects, the number of impact prospects they have, is I think a significant advantage they have over the Cardinals in that. I mean, over the Reds in that if there's injuries for the Cardinals, it's hard to short of catcher. It's hard to kind of point to another position for the Cardinals where you say an injury here will really kill them. Right. With the Reds, you can't say that. There's not nearly the, as much depth of position prospects. I mean, if, if Matt Holiday went down, the Cardinals would call up Oscar Tavares or if any of their starting outfielders. Uh, Ryan Lovick goes down, and obviously this guy's not going to start, but the, the, the Reds go to Derek Robinson. Right. I mean, I understand that Billy Hamilton's new to the outfield. They want him to stay in, in minor, the minor leagues, get used to the, the minor, and, playing center field in the minor leagues. But there's a pretty big difference between Oscar Tavares and, and Derek Robinson. And the fascinating part also is, is that, again, don't want to too much tangent, but because they've committed to this Shinshu Chu in center right. plan, they're still going to play him in center, even though Chris Heisey, who will now be their left fielder, is a significantly better center fielder than Shinshu Chu. Guys, we had a couple of questions on Twitter, and one of them pertains to the top of these rankings. 
uh, from our old friend Japers413. Uh, what's his real name again, Jim? Uh, J.P. Schwartz. That's it, J.P. Schwartz. Uh, which MILB team would each of you consider to be the deepest in terms of high-ceiling prospects? Um, Jim, I'll put it to you first. I mean, the Cardinals are number one in our rankings. Are they the deepest in terms of high-ceiling prospects? Or is Hold there on. Some other but that, that's not the question. The question is which minor league team. Oh, I thought. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I thought. Well, I think I, I guess I was thinking it was an organization. But which minor league team, individual team? Well, we don't have all the rosters, but uh, off the top of your head, Jim, you, you know which uh, which minor league team you think might be the deepest in terms of high ceiling prospects? And then JJ, well, I mean, Jim. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, it's tough because we don't have all the rosters in front of us. But Seattle, you know, I would think their AAA team is going to be pretty loaded. They uh, actually sent most of those guys a Double A. It looks like uh, Tawan Walker's a Double A. James Paxton. We were looking at that yesterday. Their Double A team's going. Walker, Paxton, Zanino, Brad Miller. That's a that was the where we started with that team. It's pretty it's a pretty good looking start to Double A roster. But I, and then obviously Seattle Triple A still does have Holton, uh, Stefan Romero was uh, Stefan Romero, Romero was on also the, on their Double A roster. I forget who the other prospect, the big prospect Nick Franklin was. and Holton were uh, were the the bigs at uh, at Triple A for Tacoma for them. And we also thought Jim that nearby you in the Midwest League that the the Cubs were going to have a loaded uh, low class A roster at Kane County, but it sounds like they've kind of spread their talent around a little bit. Yeah, you know, Alvin Almora has the the hand injury, and I guess Solaire's not going to be there. But yeah, I thought that was going to be one of the better lineups, but it looks like they're going to kind of more uh, equally disperse their talent between high class A and low class A. Does Boston have a hot spot in their organization where it would be a natural kind of collection? Uh, you know, since you did their top thirty of, of of maybe their organization's talent strength. Again, again, I haven't seen the rosters, but I would think that, that Bogarts could be in double-A or triple-A. Matt Barnes is probably in double-A. Alan Webster's in triple-A. Yeah, obviously, Jackie Bradley would have been in triple-A, but they promoted him. So I, I think they would have looked a little bit better had uh, you know had Jackie Bradley not gone ahead and made the team out of, out of spring training. A couple of lower-level teams to kind of keep an eye on. Hickory is stacked yeah. with a, a, a team that really, by a lot of, a lot of high-ceiling guys who still have some things to prove, but if they prove them, it's it could be as talented as anyone. You've got Jorge Alfaro, you've got Joey Gallo, you've got the thing that jumps out, Lewis Brinson. It's, it's a lineup of six foot, seems like six foot four, six. Ronald Guzman's supposed to be there. He's out right now with an injury, but should be you know, should join that team at some point. Um, I'm forgetting uh, uh, Namar Mazara. Uh, it's yeah, it should be. It should it's be a loaded. it's a stack team. What what they have uh, you know on their website right now, and I, I love the fact that uh, Corey Ragsdale is the manager there and uh, good dude. And uh, but but right now they've got you know ba- you know the, the repeaters who are on that team from last year. But Jorge Alfaro is currently slated to be back there. I mean that's a you know th- that should be a, a talent laden roster, and we hope to have uh, staffer out there. There are opening only opening day game in the state of North Carolina is uh, Greensboro at Hickory. The other one that stands out to us from a high-ceiling tam- standpoint was uh, Fort Wayne, right? The, uh, Fort Wayne, the caps Fort Wayne looks system. like a, a very interesting, uh, uh, especially a pitching staff uh, rotation. Max Reed's going to be there, which, I mean, that's... That's a good place that, to start. That's a good place to start. But uh, a lot of high-ceiling arms in there. Uh, Tavon, I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Tav- I can't remember, Tavon Guerrero, who I saw when I was... Uh, that's down, it. And it, then also... Uh, uh, Joe, Joe Ross. Joe Ross. So, so there, there's some high ceiling, high dollar arms slated for Fort Wayne uh, that we're looking Lexington for. Lexington will, will have Alberto Mondesi, Bubba Starling, and a, a number of other guys. So there's another team that that'll be pretty intriguing. So basically, um, and I would assume. So I'll go back to the meeting yesterday. The former, the teams that we raved about in last year's Appalachian League Championship Series that I will not stop obsessing over. Um, I would expect a lot of those guys also to go to Beloit. 
uh, well, not Beloit. What's the new uh, Twins Midwest affiliate? I think it's Quad Cities. I, I forgive about whoever our Twins look. Now, Quad Cities is the Astros, and they're actually going to have some interesting guys. Yeah, they'll have... Carlos Correa and Lance McCullers Jr. and Rio Ruiz. That's a pretty intriguing team as well. We, we, we talked earlier, Jim, one of our tangents was uh, best spring trainings in uh, by, by prospects. We were talking about the Grapefruit League, guys who got a lot of attention, like Christian Yelich and Jackie Bradley were two of the guys that we talked about. But another, you know, Carlos Correa seems like a guy who got a lot of buzz. But also, uh, you mentioned Michael Waka. I know maybe to wrap on the Cardinals. I mean, this is a guy you covered last year in the draft. I think we thought that he would go higher in the draft than he did. Then he had a ridiculous debut, and, and, and it was there was still a little skepticism because it was out of the bullpen, but he kept on doing it in spring training. I mean, that seemed like that might just be a coup for the Cardinals to have gotten Waka to drop. Yeah, I think teams outwitted themselves a little bit on Waka. We had him, I want to say we had him ranked as the eighth best prospect in the draft. And usually you're going to see your advanced college pitchers go where we have them, even a little bit higher, because I, I really do think that's the most prized commodity in the draft, Yep, is an advanced college pitcher. And I still don't quite understand how he lasted 19 picks. I mean, you know, what he's doing in, in pro ball, you know, last year in that debut when he got to double A and, you know, gave up, I think, one run in 11 games and was, you know, touching 97 and had a 40 to 4 strikeout to walk ratio. And then he dominated against spring training. It, it, it's not like his stuff has kicked up a notch and he's a different guy. I mean, he's the same guy he was when he was very successful at, at Texas A&M. I mean, he, he has a very good sinker. He can force him it up to 97. He commands his fastball extremely well. He's got, I thought he had the best changeup in last year's draft. Mike Matheny said he had the best changeup of any pitcher in their big league camp this spring. The knock on him has always been that he doesn't have a, a, a really, you know, solid breaking ball. It's more kind of an average pitch. Um, you know, I guess it's more of a slider now than a curveball. And, and I still think that's his third pitch. But, I mean, he's... It's not like you know, they drafted him and, and, and all of a sudden he started you know throwing a lot harder. He is, you know, we'll, we'll go Denny Green here. He is exactly who everybody thought he was, yep. and I still understand why he lasted till the 19th pick. I mean, if Michael Walker was in this year's draft, I think he'd be a top five pick. No doubt. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Great, great. That, that's exactly the answer I was hoping for. So um, let's let's wrap up this part of the podcast. Um, by talking about the Mariners and Rangers at two and three, and uh, Jim, I, that, that was not a that was less of a clear decision. It feels like there was a little bit less consensus on that, but I was surprised at how, if I remember the voting, that the, the vast majority of people had uh, Mariners over Rangers. I guess the way that I put it uh, to JJ, and uh, you know, he can speak to this after I ask you this question, but I guess I thought that the Mariners were a little bit safer, a little bit more upper level talent. If you're looking for depth of high ceiling talent, the Rangers have more high ceiling talent probably than any other organization. But the Mariners have, I, I felt a lot better about the Mariners' top 10 and their players who have double A and up experience um, than I did about the Rangers. And that's why I gave the edge to the Mariners in my own rankings. What was your feeling on these, uh, the dif differentiating between these two organizations? Well, John, you summed up exactly how I, I viewed those two organizations, and I want to say I had the Mar I think I voted the Marlins third and the Rangers fourth, but uh, you know you, you hit the high points on both those organizations. You know, the Rangers I think probably have do have more high ceiling talent than any system in baseball, but that, that high ceiling talent always co also comes with risk. I mean, a lot of these guys have barely played above low class A or just getting to low class A this year. 
you know, Joey Gallo might be a guy who could hit 40 homers in the big leagues, and he, and he might strike out 200 times in Double A. You know, or how far you could dream and see this big, you know, power hitting catcher with a strong arm, or you know, he might swing and miss too much and not make it. And, and then you contrast that with the Mariners. And I don't know how you guys feel, but I don't ever remember an organization where the first nine guys on their top ten, and it's a good top ten, have all had success in Double A and above. I mean, you've got Zanino, Walker, Holson, Franklin, Paxton, Maurer, Caps, Romero, and Miller. All those guys guys have had success in double A or above and that's just very unusual it is it's just it, it just stood out uh to compared to everybody and 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 frankly the Rangers since we did the rankings JJ you've had Martin Perez get hurt Michael did not make the major league roster and it felt like there was opportunity for him there maybe less so they seem to have a lot more faith in, in Mitch Moreland at the start right. of every year than they do at the end of every year um but the Rangers it just seemed like it's just two organizations that are just where their talent is concentrated at opposite ends of the spectrum. Right. It, you look at with the with the Rangers that the AAA team is not going to be the team you want to go see. Right. Even even right now it is for a moment for a brief moment right now. Profar Olt, sure it is. Before long when those guys go up, it's you know that's that's the one thing with it is is that the other argument for the Rangers and again I, I can see you know an argument for the Rangers too. I can see the argument for the for the Mariners too. But the argument for the Rangers is is that okay you have a, a number one prospect who I like Mike Zanino. Mike Zanino is a is the you know I would say he is the best catching prospect in the game right now. I say so. That being said, his upside is significantly less than Jurek's and Profar's at the top end. And then so that's you know that you have that for the Rangers, and then you have yeah it's a lot of guys who are going to be an A ball who if everything breaks right, could be better than the guys the Mariners have. That being said, it's really a, a pretty easy argument to make that if you've got the, ch- the choice between the guy who, if everything breaks right, this guy could be extra special, and the guy who you say, you know, Brad Miller, for example. Brad Miller, at this point, is not probably, I, I don't think he's going to be a perennial all-star or anything like that, but it's kind of really hard to see him not being a useful big leaguer at this point. Right. I do think uh, the amazing thing that shows the Rangers' depth to an extent is that their number 19 and 20 prospects on their top 30 made their big league opening day roster in Luri Gar- Liuri Garcia and Nick Tepish. Jim, I wanted to ask you just because uh, uh, you do our Midwest draft coverage and, and you're a Georgia Bulldog. I really thought that – I thought there was a bigger difference between Justin Grimm, the Georgia alum, and Nick Tepish, the Missouri alum, than – uh, I, I, thought, I thought there was a pretty big difference, and then we had Grimm at five and, and Tepish at 19 or 20 or whatever, but I was really surprised to see Nick Tepish win that job out of spring training. I do think, again, it's another sign of the depth of the Rangers system. They have a guy like Nick Tepish who was a high-ceiling guy in high school and a high-ceiling guy in college. It wouldn't surprise me if they're the ones who kind of unlocked Nick Tepish um, at, this, at this stage of his career. No, I agree, and I think, um, I think they have similar ceilings. I think that difference in the rankings yeah, we, we both had 50 ceilings on those guys or 50 ceilings both guys in the prospect handbook and uh grim was a 50 medium and, and tepish was a 50 a 50 high and i think that was because grim had succeeded in double a and pitched in the big leagues and tepish was kind of so so in double a last year but um you know i think he just outperformed him in spring training i mean you're talking about two guys who didn't really live up to their billing in college and have been better, you know, better in pro, better pro pitchers than they have in college. You know, Tepish was a guy who in high school, you know, was a potential first round pick 
uh, you know, floated a seven-figure bonus uh, uh, demand out there and didn't get signed. And then went to Missouri. He was supposed to be the next guy in that line of, of Max Scherzer and Aaron Crow and Kyle Gibson, and didn't quite live up to that. But the you know the, the Rangers, like you said, have gotten him kind of back on track. And you know he's not a guy who's going to throw 95, but he you know throws fastball. I guess I'm not, you know, if you look at the rankings, maybe it's a surprise, but I mean, Justin Grimm's also a guy who's been inconsistent, you know, for all his amateur career and, you know, up and down a little bit in, in pro ball last year, you know, very good in double A, not so great in triple A, you know, got knocked around in the majors. And, you know, my guess is, is that Tepish was just more consistent this spring. Yeah. I mean, I think like, he's, like you said, both those, many of those guys have been super consistent and I guess that's why they, <laughs> that's why they're Rangers. I mean, the Rangers just, uh, and this is the way to do it. If you're going to have this much high ceiling talent, I mean, if you're going to if you're going to go high ceiling, high risk, high reward, go with volume. Go the Manhattan Change Bank route, JJ. And, and the Rangers have done that. And we'll wrap the wrap the podcast with JJ. You got to see inner squad for them when you were out yeah. for the WBC and in the beginning of minor league camp. And I mean, the talent on display there for an inner squad game was probably outrageous. It, it was, and we'll have a feature I think going up probably by the time you can hear this podcast talking about you know where I. I talked to a couple of their guys about their short, just their shortstop prospects, and they have shortstop prospects up and down the organization. Now, I've got really bad news for you, you know, for, for the shortstop prospects. <laughs> you not only have the number one shortstop prospect in the game who has already played in the big leagues and is sitting at AAA, so that's a pretty tough hurdle to overcome if you're Luis Sardinas or or Leary Garcia. Leary Garcia or you know number of other guys. Or, and beyond that, oh yeah, by the way, Elvis Andrus, the established shortstop there, is not going anywhere. He's just signed a, a massive deal that will keep him there at least through 2017. He's got options that could keep him there through 2019. Right. So, um, you know, they're, they're kind of uh, stacked there at shortstop, but they, they're, they're stacked at, at multiple positions. And talk about good problems to have. So they're going to have to figure out now, okay, we have Elvis Andrus here for years to come. Jerickson Profar, top shortstop prospect in the game. Does he become the second baseman? Or do you say, you know what, we're going to we, – we can fill whatever – I would really put it as you can fill whatever hole you need. If, you, if, you, if you're willing to have a deal that starts with Jerickson Profar, there aren't many guys you can't get. Yeah, it's really surprising to me, though, that that's the, the issue that they have. Of all positions, they are so flush with shortstops. And it just reminds me again of kind of like the late 90s Blue Jays. And you've talked to Chris Buckley about it now that he's with the Reds. And I've talked to Tim Wilkin and Chris Buckley about it. And I used to do the Blue Jays top 30. So I remember doing it when they had, and you look back, like 1998 or 99, one of those years, they had a big league second baseman and shortstop at basically every level. And the guys were still playing, or Cesar Asturias and Michael Young and, uh, well, Vernon Wells, he was one of the shortstops. <laughs> Uh, Orlando Hudson, I guess, his career just ended. Um, the depth of shortstops in that system was crazy. When, you know, the recently deceased Ryan Friel was one of them. Second base shortstop, they just had at every level, and it did kind of work itself out. But, you know, the Blue Jays didn't win with all that. And, and they like that, but most those of those guys. guys, you know, and that's the thing. We've talked about this before. One thing that is difficult with this is, is that, Jerks and Profar, if if you if they're willing to trade him, I don't think they are. I think what they're going to do is is that he's going to be their second baseman, which is good for the Rangers. It's a little bit bad news for Profar from the standpoint of as valuable as he can be as a second baseman when you have a guy who can definitely play shortstop. Right. It's almost a bummer to say we're not going to get to see him play shortstop. But 
the real difficulty though is is that while what do they do with Kinsler? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. What do they do? Well, with don't Kinsler? rule out Profar going to center field. I mean, that's a position they've had trouble filling. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he wound up being their center fielder, perhaps. And that seems like that would even be more of a bummer. Although I guess he could be a spectacular center fielder, but wouldn't you love to see that guy on the infield? I mean, with those reactions and that, those, you know, those infield actions. Um, and they don't really have a long-term first baseman. Maybe Kinsler goes to first. I mean, it certainly would be unconventional. But I mean, I don't know. I, maybe he's a Bobby Gritch, late career Bobby Gritch kind of player. But but to me, the the thing that is difficult though is that they did want to trade Profar. There are very few teams that you can work out a deal to trade Profar because. You have to get such value in return. There aren't a whole lot of guys available like that. And you, you can't trade Profar in a deal and say, hey, we're going to get four guys to fill. Because the Rangers don't need that. They aren't the Astros. They're not looking for volume. They have to, if they ended up making a trade and they're trading Profar or say they decided down the road to trade Kinsler, which would not bring nearly as much back in return, right. things like that, they're looking to find a piece. Now, the, the exact right piece. Now, the, the trade that's been floated out there before that, that does it is it's just too the challenge trade the of challenge, all challenge trade trades. of all challenge trades that would only be taught by the supposed ramblings there were of the Dimaggio Williams deal you know back in the forties you know but is the you need a shortstop Cardinals we you know we could use an outfielder have you know Profar Tavares that would be insane but. Jim has there ever been a prospect challenge trade that would rival uh, Profar for Tavares. Not that I can think of that was just straight prospects for prospects. You you just don't see that very much. And I, I you know I, I think you guys are on the same page. I don't think we'd see that because I just think the Rangers love Profar too much and the Cardinals love Tavares too much that even though that would fit their present needs more, I, I just can't really come up with a scenario where where either team would trade either one of those guys. That would be awesome. I, I don't think we'll either. I, I think I think Jerkson Profar will be a Ranger in 2016-17. I'll put it that way. You don't think he's going? He's, you don't think he's going anywhere for a I while? I don't think he's going anywhere for a while. I'm not saying now in year three, year four, at that point, you know, if he's in 2017, he's arbitration eligible, and he still can play shortstop, and he's now getting a little more expensive. I could see maybe at that point, but no. I don't see him going anywhere for a while either. But I sure do think it will be bold and amazing if those two organizations pulled out that deal. I honestly don't see a downside for either organization in that deal. I mean, if I were the Cardinals, I think the Cardinals would benefit more. Than the Rangers right, because the field. difference between what they are putting out Correct. there right now at shortstop and Jerks and Profar is bigger than the difference between what the uh, Rangers Correct. are putting out there now and Oscar Tavares. But I could see, I could see both teams uh, being very tempted. But like you both said, I think they like their players too much to make that move. And like you said, Jim, why not just try for the Rangers? Just try Jerks and Profar in center field or in the outfield. Man, uh, that would be a bummer though. I, I did talk to a, uh, a farm director though this past week who did say he said. You know, I think 80-plus percent of major league shortstops could be good center fielders. Uh, right. So, I mean, that's just a random thought of, you know, just how, you know, Profar probably could go out there and be really good at it really quickly. Jim, we're going to wrap up the podcast. Any last uh, any last words from you on our org talent rankings? Uh, you know, uh, we're just uh, one thought I had while, you know, thinking about the Rangers that we've been talking about is it'll be very interesting to see where they rank a year from now because I would think that at the end of the season – you know their top four prospects: Profar, Olt, Martin Perez, and, and Leonis Martin. None of those guys are going to qualify for next year's list. And there's also a chance that I mean, assuming Justin Grimm gets 40 innings in the big leagues, and he was number five on the list, he won't qualify either. So the the Rangers, 
Uh, I'll be very curious to see where they rank a year from now if they lose all five of those guys. You know, and, and where they rank will largely be dependent on the progress shown by all these high ceiling guys they have. Yeah. One, one that, that that leads me to one more question to ask, which is to ask each of you: Are there a team or teams that jump out to you as this when we're doing this a year from now? They could really have made a big jump, not counting the draft and all, just with guys who have uh, teams that have lower level, high ceiling talent who could make a big jump uh, for 2014. To me, it's Twins. I do their rankings, but they made so many uh, off-season moves. Alex Meyer's a double-A. I don't think we're going to have Alex Meyer exhaust his big league, big league eligibility. And we're seeing guys like uh, Oswaldo Arcia be healthy for another full season. Byron Buxton, Miguel Sano, uh, even though they lose Aaron Hicks, J.O. Berrios, Rosario, uh, Max Kepler going to full-season ball. This is an organization that is burgeoning with young talent, and I, I could see them making a big move from 10 up. I think the Rangers, they could go the other way, too, uh, Jim. They could have a lot of those boomer bust players go boom in the low minors and be number one next year as Joey Gallo and uh, Lewis Brinson and some of those young players, Mazzara, uh, start to uh, you know, turn their tools into production at the minor league level in a full season league. That could be a number one organization for me. Yeah, and that's what I meant. I mean, they could you could come up with a scenario where they could be number one or they could be you know number 15. Uh, right. A, a couple organizations, I guess, that, that jump out to me – the Astros, you know, they had that, that draft we loved last year. Those guys will be taking another step forward. They're going to, you know, J.J. said not to count the draft, but, I mean, the Astros are going to have $11.7 million to do a lot of damage with in this year's draft, starting with the number one pick. So I think the Astros could move up the charts. Um, I, I think the two other teams that, that could move up from right outside the top ten to, to close to the top would be the Yankees. Their top four prospects in, in Mason Williams, Gary Sanchez, Slade Heathcott, Tyler Austin are all guys who – you really haven't, you know, we're in high A last year, low A and high A last year. Um, they should get better. They'll get closer to the big leagues. Jose Campos could come back healthy. Um, you know, I think Ty Hensley is going to be good. Rafael DePaula is an interesting guy. And then the Cubs have a very young farm system. But as we talked about earlier, they're going to have a lot of talent uh, in, in A ball. You, know, you got guys like Javier Baez, Albert uh, Almora, and Jorge Soler. We're all in the top third of our top 100 prospects list. And, you know, they've got some pitchers like Pierce Johnson, Erodis Vizcaino, uh, who I don't think is going to exhaust his eligibility because he's come back from Tommy John. They've got a lot of, of higher-ceiling young guys, too, that could maybe push them up the list. One other I'll add is the Padres, because I think we just talked about the, the Padres, you know, young pitching that they're going to have in Fort Wayne. Weichel's another guy to add to that list, to, you know, guys to right. keep an eye on. So uh, I do think that the Padres, Austin Hedges, the catcher, you know, they have a lot of guys who – Understandably, right now, we, I think we have 14. That's because a lot of those guys, for them, are guys who haven't even played full season ball yet, or you know, have or have right. a, you know very few innings under their belt. A year from now, if that staff, if Freed, you know, Ross takes a step forward, Guerrero, Hedges, you guys like that, they could really have made a, a jump up as well. I think you have to be honest with the Padres. Uh, I, I think this is a fair statement. From a, we loved their 2009 draft at the time. We liked their 2011 draft at the time. Um, a guy like Spangenberg or Jace Peterson. We've had a lot of guys where we liked them and they were consensus draft picks. And I think the development side there, the track record there is not the same as it is for, say, the Cardinals or the Rangers. So I, I think that's a fair critique. And well, there's a lot I, of I new guys little, there. I have a little bit more wait and see for me on the Padres. The one thing with that, though, is you got to remember a lot of guys have changed over in the last they couple have. years, too. They have. I don't disagree. But I have a little more wait and see. I have a little less faith and young Padres prospects than I do in other organizations based on the track record. And I think that's fair. So good stuff. Good podcast, guys. Uh, Jim, thanks for taking the time to join us. 
JJ, thanks for your time. We'll see all of you next time on the next Baseball America podcast. For Jim and JJ, I'm John. So long, everybody. <laughs>